Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to The Guinea Pig. I'm Dr. Mariam Zamani, an oculoplastic surgeon and aesthetic doctor. And I'm Fiona Golfer, a writer and journalist. I'm no stranger to a cosmetic procedure, and I'm willing to try pretty much anything. Which is why I'm here, to make sure Fiona and anyone else that's out there considering a treatment to help make a better informed decision safely and to try and collect as much information as they can. Every fortnight, this podcast comes to you from Mariam's Clinic in Chelsea. If you're looking for an honest, no-holds-barred approach to invasive and non-invasive cosmetic surgery, then the guinea pig is here to help you. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Guinea Pig. After Fiona told us about her battle with varicose vein, we're dedicating this episode to the subject, and I think you have provided us with a rather special guest today. Yes, Mariam. I'm lucky enough to have my own personal vein specialist, of whom I'm the greatest fan, in the form of Professor Mark Whiteley, who's come here to talk to us about veins. Well, he can talk veins day and night, actually, so we will no doubt cover a lot of ground. Amazing. Can't wait. Everybody has a varicose vein story. Professor Mark Whiteley is coming up next. Professor Mark Whiteley is a consultant venous surgeon and consultant phlebologist. He trained in St. Bartholomew's Hospital in London. He has been a lecturer in surgery at Oxford University before performing the very first endovenous keyhole surgery for varicose veins in the UK. But his finest achievement, as far as I'm concerned, is successfully treating the veins in my legs. Mark, welcome to the guinea pig. Thank you. So, Mark, we're really excited to have you here. Could you tell us a little bit about what are varicose veins versus other types of veins? Yes. So, veins basically take blood back to the heart. That's the idea. Arteries take blood to tissue and veins take it back. The trouble with varicose veins is not the varicose veins you see. It's the fact that the veins underlying them aren't working properly. So what happens is when blood goes from your feet back to your heart, when you're lying down, there's no problem. When you stand up or sit up, blood going from your toes back to your heart has to go uphill. And the only way you can do that is if you move. When blood shoots up through the veins, it has to stay up. So the valves have to close behind it to keep the blood up once it's been shoved up. The difficulty is some of us lose those valves and we lose them because of genetic reasons and other reasons. And when those valves give way, what happens? Blood falls backwards down the veins and causes inflammation. Now, if you're lucky, 
As they fall down, the inflammation is stopped because the veins dilate and it acts like a shock absorber, and that's a varicose vein. If you're unlucky, you don't develop a varicose vein, blood falls down, causes inflammation, and you get damage to the veins, or you get leg ulcers, venous eczema, or the other problems, and you don't see anything on the surface, and that's what's called hidden varicose veins. I came to see you for bog standard varicose veins, but you were telling me and actually tested me for varicose veins in all sorts of places. I didn't know you could get them. For example, inside the uh, pubic varicose veins. Will you tell us a little bit about that? It's, it's difficult because the way we get taught in medical school and therefore what doctors and nurses think about veins is really based upon prejudices where people want to believe varicose veins are easy to deal with so therefore you want them to be in your legs. The problem is the venous system doesn't actually respect what doctors want. It actually is there. And basically if you have to have blood flowing from your toes to your heart then anywhere between the toes and the heart can actually lose valves and you can get varicose veins and we all know this happens because we all know children boys get varicose veins around their testicle it's called a varicocele and every urologist or medical student knows that but when a girl says she has pain in her pelvis and she has pelvic congestion syndrome doctors don't diagnose it in the uk they say it must be endometriosis they don't know you can get varicose veins in the pelvis it's the same vein how do you diagnose a varicose vein the, the diagnosis starts with, first of all, the patient telling you they've got the symptoms of pelvic congestion syndrome. So that is in women, uh, it comes, you can, sometimes you can see the varicose veins on the inside of the thigh at the top. Sometimes you see vulval varicose veins or vaginal varicose veins. Those things often midwives say, oh, they're normal, but they're not. That, that's a sign of pelvic congestion. Very, very commonly you get discomfort. So you can get pain in the hip, pain in the back, pain on sexual intercourse called deep dyspareunia, get irritable bowel, irritable bladder. And one in five women who have leg varicose veins actually have pelvic varicose veins causing them. And one of the reasons that women think that varicose veins always come back after treatment is that traditional vascular surgeons don't check for them. So one in five women get the wrong operation because they're only having their legs treated. And it's been one of the biggest changes in venous surgery in the last 20 years. And because we don't have many venous experts in the UK, we just have these arterial surgeons doing veins. They don't go to the meetings, they don't hear about it, and therefore this hasn't really come into the UK. If you look up the website of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, they don't even have veins as a source of pelvic pain, even though a third of all women with chronic pelvic pain have it due to veins. Wow, that is so surprising, mm. isn't it? And the way that you, because when I came to see you, you did a very, you did a sort of full body scan on me. And mm. so I was, I had an ultrasound, I believe, to see whether I had pelvic veins. So, so what we found in the 1990s was that it doesn't matter with veins what size they are. It matters which way the blood is flowing. It should only go uphill the way that the valves point. And the only way you can tell if blood's flowing the wrong way is to use a thing called duplex ultrasound, or it's a sort of form of Doppler. And that way you can tell whether the blood's flowing the right way or the wrong way. And every doctor knows that for leg varicose veins. And then as soon as you talk about anything inside the body, we all forget it again. And because it's inside the body, we want to believe that MRI or CT must be used or venogram because it's deep inside. But of course, with those tests, you lie flat. 
and blood doesn't fall backwards if you're lying flat. So it's the wrong test. And we've published uh, data recently in the European Journal of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery showing that MRI and CT doesn't show you these pelvic varicose veins. And yet most doctors in the UK who are starting to follow our lead are trying to use those. But some people come to us because they have pelvic congestion syndrome. So they've got pain in their pelvis. Um, they've got all sorts of irritable bowel, irritable bladder. They've been told perhaps it's endometriosis and the scan says it's not. And they're at the wit's end. They don't know what's going on. They eventually find our website and they come along and say, you know, I think I might have pelvic congestion syndrome. And those people have isolated pelvic pain or pelvic problems and they've got varicose veins in the pelvis without leg varicose veins. So that does happen by itself. The same way you get varicose veins in your left leg and not your right we recently published a, a document for the government, actually, for the all-party uh, parliamentary group in women's health, looking at how many women with chronic pelvic pain have got it due to veins in the pelvis, pelvic congestion syndrome, and that's one in three. Is this something that the National Health look at? I, I think this circumvents private NHS, it circumvents anything. This is public health, yes. and therefore it doesn't really matter who's funding it as long as doctors know about it. Our biggest problem at the moment is doctors don't know about it they don't even diagnose it gynecologists don't accept it um, patients don't know about it and very very few people even look for it so uh, the, the problem really is one of education first after that then of course you can start looking at who should be treating it how studies etc but we're at that stage at the moment where we have this huge number of women suffering and absolutely nobody doing anything about it they're, they're being misdiagnosed as endometriosis the whole time. And if you talk to a gynecologist, you'll often hear them say about women who come with chronic pelvic pain and they give them some tablets and they do a laparoscopy, they do an MRI, and they look at these people and at the, eventually they say, well, we can't see the endometriosis, but it must be there. And if you talk to them and say, well, when you did the laparoscopy, did you see big veins in the pelvis? They go, oh, they all have them. And they don't, they're actually seeing the pathology and they don't recognize it. And it's a massive problem we have at the moment of just getting people to recognize it. Once we actually have people recognizing it and women demanding it, then we can sort out who's funding it. Yes. But we have to actually recognize it as a problem, first of all. Okay, so we've got some walls to break down. Many. Yes. Many walls. We have other ones in veins as well. I'd like to get back to me because I'm my favorite subject. And, um, <laughs> and You're talk, everybody's favorite subject. I'm just you my know? favorite subject. The, the, the reason I met the lovely Mark was that I was at the seaside a couple of summers ago and I was about to walk down to from my house to uh, the beach. And as I was walking down the path, my husband said, have you seen what's going on on the back of your legs? And I said, well, obviously, I haven't seen what's going on in the back of it. He said, well, you've got snakes, you know, running down the back of your legs. So I got home and I did some swiveling in front of a mirror, sort of trying to flip myself over backwards and found some very nice, juicy veins. The only person who's ever been happy to see them, I think, was Mark. <laughs> nothing he likes more than a juicy vein. Previous to that, I had had a varicose vein that I'd found having had my first child and I had an operation that it was, I was put out. I was, I went under general anesthetic and I had my varicose veins pulled out. There were some stitches in the back of my leg and I never really thought about it again. And that is contrary to everything you believe in, isn't it? When you saw that I'd done that. It's not only contrary to what I believe, it's contrary to what we're proven. So nothing I say is without good scientific evidence. So we have a major problem, and that is that doctors get told when you remove something, it's gone. 
So that's true of a gallbladder, it's true of a uterus, it's true of many different organs. But they forget that when you're taking a gallbladder out, you cut through the skin, you cut through the fat, you cut through the muscle, and you've caused a hole, you stop it all bleeding, you take the organ out, and when you put those connective tissue layers back together again, if a year later you cut them open, they bleed. And why do they bleed? Because they've healed. Mm. So skin heals the reason they bleed, the veins heal, the muscle heals, everything heals and it grows back. Only organs don't grow back. And one or two do, even of those, like the liver. But what we've got a real problem, that connective tissue grows back. And if it didn't, we wouldn't heal. So when you rip a vein out, it doesn't become an organ. It, the body, as far as the body is concerned, is part of your connective tissue. So not surprisingly, it grows back. Now, nobody ever believed that. So I did a study in 1999, which we won a research prize in 2005, published in British Journal of Surgery 2007, then published another one in 2014. And we showed that if you watch people year after year after year, you can watch the veins growing back, having stripped them out. And what's worse is when they grow back, they never have a valve in them. Yeah. So if you have a vein removed actually taken away it will grow back in about 80 to 90 percent of cases and it will always be a varicose vein because it won't have any valves in and so it's a waste of time not only is it agony to have your veins stripped it's a waste of time because they grow back what we found though is if you don't strip them if you leave them in but you destroy the vein wall by either heat or chemicals it shrivels away it can't grow back so could you give us a, a quick rundown for those of us that don't know what the different options are? So, you know, a lot of people come into my office, for instance, and, and ask for their veins to be lasered. I don't do a lot of them because I don't, for that reason, think they work on the body. I do do some reticular vessels that are in, in the temple or in the lower eyelid area, but I, I stay away from most body ones without sending them elsewhere uh, for further evaluation. But there are many options out there. Yes. So the very, very first thing to think about is the heart. If it's above the heart, then blood is flowing downwards with gravity. So you can do what you like because those veins should all be taking the blood the right way. Plus, the other thing is your skin is open to the sun. So therefore, it's radio resistant. It's very resistant to heat. So you can zap the veins. You can do what you like with them, really. There's lots of different ways of doing them. As soon as you are under the heart you have to start thinking about reflux and valves. And if you touch a vein under the heart without doing a duplex ultrasound, you're mad because you're likely to get it wrong. So if you look at women with thread veins on their leg spider veins and you scan them, 89% have hidden varicose veins underneath. So if they go to cosmetic doctors and they're having them injected or lasered or anything, they come back. Not only come back, but they can also make them worse and cause problems. So the first thing, the first answer is if it's under the heart, you don't touch a vein unless you have a duplex ultrasound scan performed by a vascular technologist who specializes in veins. My memory of coming to see you is I came in to see you, I complained of, and I showed you the veins on the back of my left leg, and I had one small one on my right one. And you said yes, you were thrilled to see them, and indeed they were varicose veins. I then complained of a certain amount of abdominal pain. So you suggested that I also have the internal scan and I went off to see your lovely associate and I remember her drawing on the back of my leg. So she sort of drew different areas where she was going to 
scan me along the, the, the leg. And then as she was running the scan, an ultrasound up and down my legs, there's a certain amount of sort of squeezing and releasing that goes on. And I could see on the screen in front of me that the blood flow would start and stop as she squeezed. And then there'd be a sort of satisfied grunt as she found a blockage or a vein. And I was quite satisfied too, because even though I could see these veins, on my leg. I always have that sensation when I visit any kind of doctor that I'm faking. So it was quite nice and reassuring to know that I did indeed have these varicose veins. The thing that really struck me when I came to your clinic is there's a sort of very, very assured ease of knowledge that yes, we can deal with these, we can deal with these quickly. It's a very simple procedure. We're very good at it. And this is what we're going to do. And that was what happened. I came back, I think a couple of days later, and you, I don't know if you use the word operate because I'm conscious. So you performed... Is it an operation? It is an operation, yes. Okay, so you operated, but I was wide awake, lying on my stomach, clutching a squeezy ball and holding the hand of a very kind nurse. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The only thing that's really painful about what you did was actually when you first went into the, the leg to try and get to the vein because of the scars from my previous operation. And you said you had to put a needle through scar tissue. And I remember that yeah. moment because it was before you'd put an, an anesthetic in and it hurt like hell. And then tell me what you did next to my veins. I remember that you injected a foam into them, but... So the first thing with the diagnosis, it's very important that the diagnosis is done with duplex ultrasound, and that's done by a vascular technologist. Some doctors do their own, but research has shown they miss at least 30% of the veins doing that way. So even the NICE guidelines say you have to work in teams. Yeah. So blood doesn't move in veins by itself. Uh, that's arteries when the heart's pumping. So you have to squeeze the leg, blood shoots up, when you let go, if the valves are working, it doesn't fall back down. If the valves aren't working, it does. That's how we see which veins need doing. Then, of course, when we're operating on them, that's when they're marked, as you quite correctly said. We have a local anaesthetic policy. And the reason is that all the new techniques for vein surgery require the patient to say, ow. Otherwise, how do we know if we're going to burn your skin or a nerve? It's actually more dangerous to have a general anaesthetic where the risk of deep vein thrombosis or nerve damage or skin burns is higher. So nowadays, all the techniques have been shown to be better 
if you do local anesthetic, plus it's cheaper and there's lower risks and costs. So it's called what the Americans lovely call ambulatory surgery. You yes. walk in, walk out. So the it's a combination in your situation where it was a little more painful for you because we did have to go through scar tissue, but again, local anaesthetic, infiltrate the area, numb it. And once it's numbed away, you don't feel any more pain. You just feel the pulling and pushing. The pulling and pushing, by the way, is sort of... It's also faintly uncomfortable because you are away, not quite sure. You can't see what's happening to you. And so the imagination is always worse than the, the, the eye. So I was aware of a sort of a tugging and I had imagined kind of ropes being pulled out of my leg. I have no idea what was going on, but that's what it felt like to me, a sort of tuggy feeling. And there was a bit of ow. But I remember I've never talked so much and I can talk, but I've never talked so much because it was a sort of nervous reaction to what you were doing. It was sort of like trying to be brave, but rather than being silent and stoic, I just went on overdrive and started telling jokes. I seemed to... <laughs> Well, we, we actually performed a PhD study and what it actually showed over three years in a randomized study, we showed that if you play music or if you let patients read books or watch funny videos, it has no effect at all. They feel just as much pain. So this idea of distraction, that, yeah, yeah, the idea of distraction is not correct in yeah. the way that we used to think the where we told the patients, oh, watch this. However, if you get them to squeeze a, a ball, if you do hand reflex or you talk to them and get them to engage in conversation talk back the anxiety rates significantly drop as does the pain and that's published that's Brianie Hudson's uh, thesis from our clinic and um, it's been presented all around the world now and it's really important work because this idea of just turn the music up and the patient won't feel problem isn't isn't true the other thing is it also shows that pain isn't the issue and it really is very interesting. If you look at all the psychological reports and studies, people don't mind a little bit of pain, provided they understand why it's coming. What people don't like is the anxiety, the worry of pain. Yes. So you take away the anxiety by explaining it, by talking, by showing people what they're going to have done. And most people have tolerated it incredibly well. When you do a study of the old style stripping, versus the new techniques. So you do one uh, leg with stripping and the other leg with the new techniques. The total pain, even if you use the general anaesthetic and you only measure the post-operative pain with stripping, is less than one-tenth of the pain with the new techniques. That's fascinating. But anyone who says it's painless is wrong. Yes. <laughs> so when we did the foam and the parts one and two, I then spent the following 21 days in a compression stocking. And now I've come back and we did the final part yesterday today and I have compression stockings on again for a further 14 to 21 days you advised so it's phenomenally interesting and really important because a lot of cosmetic clinics will say don't worry about compression it doesn't work or just wait for two or three days and they're being nice to the patients in the short term but for really bad results in the medium to long term and the reason is is you do not stick these veins together. This whole idea that you stick the veins together is wrong. You see it everywhere on the internet and it's wrong. What you're doing is you're killing the vein and the vein becomes a tube of dead protein. If any blood gets into that tube of dead protein, you will get a clot in it and it will go brown and it will stain. And therefore the 
only way at the moment to get rid of these veins is to do the sclerotherapy to kill the vein and then to hold it so tightly closed that no blood can get into it until it scars away which is a minimum of 14 days and nights and all the film stars will do 21 days and nights and they get the mm-hmm. best results from that right well, obviously do... want to be a film star so exactly every yeah. lady should treat herself like that yes. one thing i'd say is we have got a new invention coming that might change this but we're waiting waiting for some uh research coming through so hopefully that might change so yesterday was very painless and actually it was very charming because you went in to finish all the spider veins and i've never seen anybody so excited you've performed a sort of injection into the vein and the vein disappeared as you i mean it became white and invisible so you could actually see the body of your work as you were doing it the effects of your work as you were doing it and then you would tape you taped it up to keep it sealed and tight I'm I'm thinking after you injected it and then you took off the tape and very quickly uh, the compression stocking was put on. One of the things that many people don't realise is veins are white. They've got absolutely no colour at all. And the colour is only given to them by the blood that's within them. So when I was injecting, what I was actually doing was injecting the blood was flowing out of them, being pushed out by the sclerotherapy. But the vein wasn't closing. So what was happening was was, the sclerotherapy was going into the vein and killing the vein wall. And the vein wall was starting to die. Now, if that blood is allowed to come back in because I stopped injecting, because the vein was dying, it will clot and you'll get your brown stains. So you have to push and keep that blood out until that vein is scarred away, which is a minimum of 14 days and nights. And 21 days and nights are good results. So that's what you must always think about. Just because it looks like it's going, you're not actually getting rid of the vein. You're just getting rid of the blood out of it. Okay. And that's really, really important when you come to think about compression because a lot of people think they've had bad sclerotherapy because they get brown stains. And in fact, the sclerotherapy is good. It's just they didn't wear the compression for long enough. Got it. A lot of my patients come in for hand rejuvenation, and one of the biggest factors there are uh, the veins that are visible on the hands. I have seen a lot of your work from patients who've come in then to have other treatments done, and I just wanted to ask you how that process is, because obviously those aren't necessarily varicose veins, but they're just unattractive uh, vessels that you can, you know, you can see the blood coursing through them. So what do you do for just general hand rejuvenation? Uh, it's a fascinating question because there's a whole new branch of phlebology that's starting called aesthetic phlebology. And it's basically the veins that are not medically going wrong. So facial veins, breast veins, chest veins, arm veins, and hand veins. And this whole area at the moment, nobody's got the perfect way forward for them what i would always say is most of the people who have bad hand veins actually have lost volume in the back of their hand and my first advice always is to use a filler and to actually get that hand full first and nine times out of ten they need nothing doing to their veins at all it's really important because if you do treat the veins and you haven't filled the hand they then say they've got a skeletal hand it's just because they're slim so you know always fill the hand first do any of the nice uh, skin peels or IPL, make the skin look nice and only treat the veins if everything else has been perfected first. One thing I'd say that's really important to remember with veins is this is not aesthetics. When you inject into a vein, sclerotherapy or foam or anything, you're doing an intravenous injection that is going into the circulation. And I'm really, really worried about the beauty clinics, the aesthetic clinics that are injecting into veins as if it's a filler, as if it's staying in one place and forgetting it's going to go to your brain, your heart, your lungs. Now, these are intravascular injections. And if you're putting poisons into that uh, into that system, 
system, you really need to know what you're doing. So I think you have to be so careful when we're talking about veins and what you do with them. I'm sure you've seen a lot of bad treatments on previous varicose veins and just vasculature. What are the complications that are the most common, commonly seen? The, the funny, the commonest the commonest problem I have is the patient who comes in and sees me and they've had three, four, five operations, usually done by vascular surgeons, sometimes radiologists, sometimes cheap you know, places, sometimes whatever, and they've promised the world and they, they come in and tell me, they show me the scars or the little scars, they tell me what they've had, they show me the notes and when you scan them, they've had nothing done. And what happens is if you put a laser in or you put foam in and you don't use the right concentration and you don't kill the wall, you get a thrombus then that thrombus resolves just the same way that if you go into hospital and you have a drip in, your drip tissues, the drip doesn't go anymore, you have to recite it. But you go in a year later, they put it in the same vein, the vein just heals. So loads of patients come to see me and they're really upset when you actually say, oh, I thought you'd had surgery before, and there's nothing being done on the inside. All the work that had been done have been done to such a low level because people do what the reps tell them. You turn the laser onto this power, you do this fast, and they don't understand that bigger veins need more or smaller veins need something else. And there's absolutely nothing to be done on the inside. You obviously get your disasters, you know, with scar tissue and clots and everything else. But the commonest is that people think they've had surgery. They've paid a lot of money sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it's NHS and the NHS has paid for it. And they've actually got a problem. And they can't understand why they've got a problem. They think they've had it done. When you scan, all the veins they had associated treated are still there. It's very common. Mark, I'm so glad I know you. <laughs> so as an oculoplastic surgeon, I have a lot of patients who come in complaining of periorbital blue vessels that they can see. Some of them are bulging, upper, lower eyelids, temples. I actually tend to treat those with a 1064 laser that I have in my office. I don't treat all veins, but they're, you know, sometimes I put intraocular uh, lenses in even to treat the upper eyelid with very good success rate. But what else is there for periorbital blood vessels? There hasn't been anything until recently, and we've just started over the last three years developing a new phlebectomy technique. So you're absolutely right. The 1064 NDAG laser is the best if it's a green vein and not bulging. Once it starts to bulge, it's really difficult to get a good result with that. And what we've been developing is a phlebectomy technique where you make an incision in a strange way. So you almost make a flap door. Um, you then put a tiny hook in and you do a phlebectomy. And so far, we're getting really really good results in those areas but as I say they have to be quite bulgy to do that I've even had a couple that have come out over the top of the eyelid yes. but you have to be so careful I do it from the side we are experimenting at the moment with forehead veins one in the center of the forehead but the difficulty with that is it's only 80% of people get a fantastic result but 20% of people um, it's very hard to remove them and that needs a bit more research and we're thinking of I'm actually working with a French company at the moment um, we might have a new technique for that but at the moment again it's under an nda but there's some very exciting things coming along in those exciting a fascinating times. subject isn't it i mean when we said we could talk veins all day i think we, <laughs> we could talk veins all day but mark you've been amazing to come on and talk to us here at the guinea pig about all things veins and i think we've both learned a lot today what do you think it's fabulous i love all things veins because you know like all women we have a little little troublesome vessels we see that we don't like. But also in my aesthetic world, I do see a lot of those types of patients and I understand how frustrating they can be for 
for them and myself. You know, we all want to have a good result at the end of the day. A safe, uh, excellent result is what we're after. It puts a whole new spin on your surveying, doesn't it? Not- <laughs> Mark Whiteley, thank you so much thank for coming you. on The Guinea Pig. Thank you very much for having me. Well, Fiona, I feel as if I know you inside out after that. You certainly do, Mariam. I told you, Mark can talk veins. He really can. But it was fascinating. What do you think, Mariam? Well, I think that most women and men, uh, many men, suffer from having unsightly veins or vessels on their body, different parts of the body. And so I think it's something that everybody, as you get older, starts to think about a little bit. I personally see it quite a lot in my practice, and I just think it's really nice to know that there are things that can be done. So oftentimes people think like, oh, for instance, the veins around the eyes, oh, you can't do anything for that. Well, you know, actually you can, or veins in your chest or your decolletage or your hands. It's not just the legs on the back of the knee. So when I used to think about varicose veins, I used to always think that they were the ones that you have on your feet, actually, like where your ankles are or behind the back of the knee until I went to medical school. I just also found it extremely fascinating to know that if it's done well, they don't come back. I'm so glad that Mark came on the guinea pig and thank you everybody for listening. And we'll be back with a new episode of the guinea pig in two weeks. If you have any questions you'd like to ask us or our expert guests to answer, please drop us a line at the guinea pig pod at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. The guinea pig provides unbiased information to those who may be considering cosmetic surgery or even trialing a non-invasive treatment or product. We do not endorse the use of any product or procedure featured in this podcast and are not responsible for the outcome of any of the treatments featured on this podcast or damage caused in connection with any treatments or products. Should you decide to try any of the procedures, treatments or products mentioned in any episode of The Guinea Pig, you do so at your own risk. Always consult an independent and fully qualified medical professional if you are considering embarking on a medical procedure, irrespective of whether it's an invasive or non-invasive procedure. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.